In light of what is going on, and I am guessing, beloved, that I am not alone in this, but with everything going on, at times, I have confessed, I, I have found myself gripped, gripped by the constant flood of announcements and, and life-altering decisions being made by our federal, state, and local governments. Gripped by our rapidly falling right off a cliff stock market. Gripped by the craziness at our local grocery stores. Gripped by the alarming predictions being made about our country's future. Gripped by the anxiety and fear spreading and growing within our population. This morning, I would like us all to just pause, take a deep breath, and focus our minds and our hearts on a few important things about our God. So I want to speak to you about theology. What is theology? Well, it is simply the study of God, the study of who God is, what God is like, how God acts or behaves. It is the gathering of facts concerning God. But I want to add that, as one writer puts it, theology is not the accumulation of cold facts, but rather of accurate and true knowledge about God that is meant to work its way out in our thoughts and lives. Beloved, as we believe, as, as we embrace what is accurate and true about God, it will, in a most meaningful way, impact the way that we think and therefore the way that we, we live. And these things are, are all the more important when we encounter the kind of troubles that we are facing now. So I was thinking that Christians can be unaware of important truths about God that they really should be aware of. Or they may believe inaccurate things about God that need to be corrected. But it can also be the case that Christians may have accumulated many accurate facts about God, and yet they at times find themselves forgetting 
or having trouble remembering or keeping their minds fixed on those facts. If you've been at Summit Bible Church for any time, you've probably heard me refer to something called gospel amnesia. Gospel amnesia, that is the forgetting of or, or having trouble remembering or keeping our mind on the, the precious, the, the powerful, the transforming, the stabilizing truths of the gospel, of our salvation, of the cross, and all the richness of it. And we certainly have, we have trouble in that regard, and, and that is why we have to continue to discipline ourselves, to, to stay focused on the gospel, to preach the gospel to ourselves, to preach it to one another, to read of it, to read about it, to live in it, to live it out. But there's also God amnesia, if you will. There's God amnesia. Forgetting, having trouble remembering, or, or keeping our minds fixed on the precious, powerful, transforming, stabilizing, soul-anchoring truths concerning God. But why does this happen? Why is this? I wish it didn't. I wish it didn't happen. But why does it happen? Why do, why do we have trouble holding on to the the accurate and true knowledge we might have about God. Well, I believe it's a result of the fall, no doubt. Our brokenness, our fallenness, if you will, seems to manifest itself in the fact that we often struggle to remember or to keep our mind fixed on things that are that are so important, so important for us to remember and keep our minds fixed on. And instead, we, we often too easily remember or find our minds fixed on much lesser things or even worthless things or things that can actually be harmful to us. Anyway, in light of current circumstances, and in light of God amnesia, I want us to consider three things this morning about God that, that should be working their way out in our thoughts and lives at this time. And, and for that matter, really all of the time but especially so right now. And I'm guessing that this will not be new material uh, to most of you, but for the reasons I mentioned, I don't think we can ever be reminded too much or, or too often about our God. So, beloved, while things may appear to be out of control right now, they, in truth, are not. Why do I say that? Because our God is totally 
in control of all things. And all things is, is really not all things if it does not include this dreaded coronavirus. Another way to say this is to say that God is absolutely sovereign over everything. Again and again in the Bible, and you know this if you've read it, in one way or another, this truth is affirmed. Recalling now a few passages from God's holy word concerning this matter. Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Beloved, God could not do all that he pleases if he was not in control of all things. In contrast, you and I cannot do all that we please. Our plans, our desires, as you know, often go unfulfilled. They are frustrated. But not so with God. Not so with God. Psalm 135.6, we read there, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. In other words, there's nowhere that God's will is not being enacted. In Job 42, verse 2, Job says to God, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted or prevented. No purpose. Why? Because he's sovereign over all. In the book of Daniel, chapter 4, verse 35, we read there, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing before God. And he, God, does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay or stop or prevent his hand. None. Or say to him, what have you done? In 2 Chronicles, chapter 20, verse 6, Jehoshaphat says to God, You rule sovereignty over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. In Proverbs 21, verse 1, 
we read, and again, all of these passages are getting at the same thought, the same idea that God is indeed in control over all, sovereign over all. The world, the universe, his creation, all things, and all people, and all viruses. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. We think kings are powerful, and they are. But their power always remains in subjection to God's sovereign power. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 23, again, there, this idea of authority on earth, but we see there is an ultimate authority that rules over all. He, God, brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. Sometimes we have great anxiety over the decisions of the rulers of this world or the way things are going in various places on our planet. And yet, here we're told that if God chooses to, if he desires to, whenever he wants to, he can bring any of them to nothing. Because he's sovereign over all. Isaiah 46, verse 9 and 10, there we read, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel, God's counsel, shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Sovereign. In Isaiah 46, 11, we read there, What I have said concerning God, that will I bring about. What I have planned, that will I do. And beloved, listen, consider, consider for a moment the false alternative. God is not sovereign. There are things that are outside of his control. R.C. Sproul, who is in a, in a much, he's in the best place. He's with the Lord now. And he's, he would be shouting amen. God is sovereign. He is in control. He said this, if there is one single molecule in this universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled. So, I imagine someone thinking, okay, God is sovereign, then why doesn't he stop the spread of this virus? For that matter, why did he allow it to take hold in the first place? Beloved, I, I sympathize with questions like that. But listen, questions like that, they presuppose something. They presuppose that we finite 
human beings with all of our limitations, and they are many, actually know best about how God's world, how God's creation should be managed or governed. And yet I'm reminded in Isaiah 55, in verses 8 and 9 of these words, the Lord speaking here, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Instead of asking those kind of questions, beloved, may I urge you, may I encourage you to embrace the second truth that has been revealed to us about God. And again, it's very common, but that is, and well known, and well affirmed, but that is that God is good. God is good. If, not if, God is sovereign, and so this truth is very important because if he was not good, then his sovereignty would indeed be a terrifying reality. But God is good. And we have a phrase, I heard one of the brothers here <laughs> start to speak it forth that maybe you're familiar with, but the pastor might say something like this, God is good. All the time. All the time. All the time. Right? Then the congregation says all the time, and then the pastor says all the time. God is good. And then that's what the congregation says. God is good. All the time? Is he good in every sovereign decision he makes? In every sovereign act that he carries out? Is God good? He is. He is. Psalm 107, 1. The psalmist says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. Again, Psalm 100, verse 5, For the Lord is good. And then he speaks about his goodness. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. King David, in Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 25, 8, again, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. Our Lord Jesus, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 18, said, No one is good. Except God alone. 
In Psalm 119, verse 68, there we read of God. You are good and do good. God's goodness, beloved, extends to everything that he does, every decision that he makes, all of his plans, all of his purposes, all of his acting out of his sovereignty. It is all good. One writer says, to say that God is good means that God always acts in accordance to what is right, true, and good. He says later, the same writer, the fact that God is good means that he has no evil in him. Very different from us. His intentions and motivations are always good. He always does what is right. Who else can you say that of? No one. Only God. And the outcome of his plan, God's plan, because he is good and does good, the outcome is always good. I would encourage you to see these two things brought together beautifully, God's sovereignty and God's goodness. I would encourage you to, with, with the time that you have, to pick up uh, your reading in Genesis 37 and read through chapter 50 which is the story of Jacob's son and Joseph. And many of you are probably already familiar with that story, but we have the outcome. So we can declare that indeed God's plans and God's purposes were good, but I would imagine in the middle of it all going on and, and not knowing how it would turn out, there may have been doubts. But we have the whole story. And of course, we're in the middle of a story right now, ourselves. But we have the whole story there of Joseph and his brothers and, and what God did. But I'll just take you to the end. Even with all of the evil things that were done against, against Joseph by his own family and others, and all of the setbacks and all of the tragedies and all the bad stuff going on, we know how it turned out, and, and this is what Joseph says as he's standing now before his brothers. In Genesis 50, verse 20, As for you, brothers, you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Beloved, God is sovereign, absolutely. God is good, perfectly. And the third thing I want us to consider this morning or be reminded of is that our good and sovereign God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God. For believers, for Christians. We all desperately, beloved, need to, to remember this and, and to keep our minds fixed on this truth about God. We find it in Romans chapter 8, 
verse 28. It reads like this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Another translation of the Bible says, we know that God causes all things. He causes all things. He's sovereignly working all things together for the good of his people. All things, beloved. I covered this passage in Romans some, some time ago when I went through the book of Romans. And all of the sermons I did, I believe, are available online at our website for you to check out. But here's some of what I said about that passage at the time that I preached on it. When Paul puts forth this promise for Christians that all things work together for good, the, the all things, while it can't be limited, clearly, to one particular thing, for sure, based on the context of Romans there, it very much includes, as Paul puts it in, in verse 18 of chapter 8, a few verses before, it very much includes the sufferings of this present time. Sufferings. That he also says, by the way, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Which, by the way, is another wonderful truth that we need to continually bring before our minds and meditate on. So the basic idea, then, of this, of this incredible promise is that all things, not just the good things, but also the bad things that we experience in this life, like being persecuted because of our faith in Christ, or even things such as financial challenges, or problems with your health, or maybe the deep pain that, that comes from the loss of a loved one, or coronavirus. And, and we, can, we can go on and on and on, but all things, even the rotten and hurtful stuff of this life works together because of our sovereign good God. It works together for our good. That is the promise, beloved. Or, or let me put it this way. It is our perfectly good and sovereign God that causes all things, even suffering, even things that are not good in and of themselves, to work together for good. For our good. One commentator said, On this promise... Believers of every age and place have stayed their minds. It has been likened to a pillow on which to rest our weary heads. Another says, No circumstance, 
fails to contribute to our good because of our good and sovereign God. And in the context, beloved, the good Paul is speaking of, the good Paul is speaking of, I don't want you to miss this, because it's rich and so important. The good Paul is speaking of is captured in verse 29. There Paul says, following verse 28, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Beloved, according to the Bible, God's ultimate purpose or plan in saving us is that we would be conformed to the image of His Son. That we would become like the most beautiful one, Jesus Christ. And in context here, verse 29 is implying that the good to which Paul refers to in verse 28 is ultimately found in God's purpose for saving us. That is conformity to the likeness of Christ. That, my brothers and sisters in Christ, is the good that all things, even our sufferings, are working together for, according to God's good purpose. One pastor said this, This truth is intensely practical, especially when you face trials. Whether it's a minor irritation at work or a major life-changing catastrophe, you can trust God to use it in His sovereign purpose to conform you to the image of Christ. There is no comfort in the view that God is not sovereign over the terrible things that happen to us. But there is great comfort in knowing that the sovereign God is working all things together for good for his people. End quote. But how does that work exactly? How does that work? How is it that through suffering, which is included in the all things, how is it that God causes those things to bring us good, to do us good, and that being conformity to the likeness of Christ? How does that work? Well, beloved, suffering is used by God. These are some ways. There's certainly probably more. If you give it some thought. Suffering is used by God to make us more compassionate, more merciful, more sympathetic, more patient toward others who might be hurting. Suffering can do that work in us if we, if we respond to it the way God would have us to respond to it. Suffering is used by God to strengthen or, or to further develop, and this is so important, our relationship with Him as we find ourselves crying out to Him. 
and leaning more on him and having to really trust him and rely upon him in ways we hadn't when, when things were going well in our lives. When you could find toilet paper in the grocery store. <laughs> Suffering, beloved, is used by God. And I think this one's a big one. To remind us or to wake us up to the fact that this is not our true home. It's not. We get confused about that. But these kind of things certainly have a way, to, a way of uh, writing us in that regard. It's not our true home, and, and, and we must always keep our eyes fixed on heaven. Suffering has a way of doing that, and that in turn causes us to reset our priorities as we think differently, or might I say biblically, about what is truly important in this life. Suffering, beloved, is used sovereignly by God to break the strong grip we all too, have, all too often have on this world. Suffering is used by God to bring our sin to the surface, which is a good thing, to expose the evil that is in us. What do I mean? Well, listen, it's, it's certainly easier to be a kind and, and loving or, 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 or to be Christian-like uh, when things are going well for us, right? And, I mean, we, and we may even start to think during those, those times, hey, you know what? I'm not really that bad of a person. In fact, I think I'm pretty good. But then when things turn against us when we encounter the sufferings of this present time well we don't always remain kind and loving rather we may manifest meanness or or nastiness or impatience or be harsh with others and use ungodly or, or hurtful speech, or maybe even become frustrated or angry with God. But when our suffering exposes the wickedness that still remains in our hearts, you know what it does? It, it certainly undermines our sinful pride or our... Um, as it's been referred to, our holier-than-thou attitude. And, and it makes us painfully aware of the sinful deeds of our body that we still need to put to death or wage war against by the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And so in that way, God uses suffering to help us become more like Christ, more like our Savior. 
So I might suggest to you as we're together going through this very difficult, very difficult time, that maybe you would ask God to help you look for ways in this situation or be sensitive to the ways that you might become more like Christ, that you might ask God to let it have its way with you, that you might be more and more conformed to the image of Christ, that you, you might let go of this world and cling harder to God, that you might be transformed for your good and His glory through the process. And then in the process, you can have hope because you know that God is doing a good thing in you through it. Beloved, the hope in all this is that our suffering is not in vain. Coronavirus is not in vain. It is not pointless. But it is a way whereby we can increasingly become like our Savior which is God's purpose for us. All things work together for good for the Christian. That is the promise. And I hope that promise will always be a pillow on which you rest your weary heads in the midst of the many trials and tribulations of this life. I was reading, I read a lot, but I was reading some articles this week, certainly there's a lot being said about what's going on. This article said, even if some things, including coronavirus, remains a mystery to us, we can trust that he's using his sovereign power for our ultimate good. What do they base that on? What I just read to you, just what we just covered. That's what they're basing on, what the scriptures have revealed to us about who our God is and what he's all about and what he's doing. The article goes on to say later, trust the sovereign Lord of the ages who is working out his plans and purposes for the world and for you, moment by moment, even especially when things are scary or unknown. The article then goes on to say, boldly bear witness to a frightened world and they are frightened. A world that's having, listen, the deceptive veil, because that's what it is, of safety and security pulled back before its very eyes. You know, when I read that, I thought, yep, that's the world, but that may also be brothers and sisters in Christ who have got amnesia at the moment. And so it's good that that veil be pulled away. Our God is sovereign. Our God is good. And our good, sovereign God is causing all things to work together for good for those who love God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, 
I pray for my, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Not only those at Summit, but those abroad, all over the world. Father, I pray that you would work especially in us, in them, at this time, to clear out any, any bad thinking concerning you, to bring before their eyes and in their heart the truth revealed about you. There are more truths that we could, we could, we can meditate on and look at and rejoice in and find comfort in and security in. But even these this morning that you are sovereign, you are in control. The world may look chaotic. It may act chaotic. It may seem like nothing is in control. But we know better. We know better because you have been kind enough, good enough to reveal these things about yourself to us. And for that matter, Lord, for that matter, not only have you revealed them, but for those of us who have walked with you long enough, we have experienced these things over and over again. We know in our heart of hearts you are sovereign. You prove yourself to us. You are good. And you are working all things together for our good. We know that. Not only by your revelation, but by experience as well. But, Father, we confess these good and right and accurate thoughts and facts about you, often they get crowded out by all the other stuff. And when that happens, Father, we lose our way. Anxiety. Irrational fear, gripping, heart-gripping fear, panic, frustration, impatience, anger, all of those things come flooding into our hearts. Father, help us, help your, your people now to, to remember who you are, to meditate on who you are, trust in these things, to, to let them have their way with our minds and, and then as a result of that with our lives, that we may operate under those truths. Help us to keep them there. Father, I, I also pray for those who, during this time, they, they don't know you. They, they don't love you, not yet. So they have no hope. They really don't. They, they, they have no promises that they can cling to. They are not yours. Not yet. And Father, I pray that you would work in a mighty way to bring many sinners to yourself in the midst of this tragedy. We ask all this in the name of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ.